Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 124, and I'm talking with Jim Walmsley. Jim was a requested guest by my husband, Glenn, so I was really excited to have him on the show. Jim is an ultra runner who trains in Flagstaff, Arizona. He's relatively new to the ultra scene. He started running ultra distances to get himself through some tough times and quickly made a name for himself. He runs for Hoka 1-1, Cliff Bar, and Nathan Hydration and is gearing up for his third shot at the Western States title in just one week. Western States is coming up, you guys. Get excited. We'll talk all about his experiences at Western States in 2016 and 2017 in this episode, so I'll let you hear about that when you listen. Jim holds so many ultra course records that I can't even begin to list them all, but some of them include the Lake Sonoma 50 miler, the JFK 50 miler, Speed Goat 50K, Franklin Mountain 50K, and the list goes on. He has a confidence that almost feels contagious when you talk to him and hear from him. So I hope you catch a little bit of that when you listen. You guys can follow Jim on Strava and see all the crazy training he does if you just search Jim Walmsley over there. And you can also find him on Instagram and Twitter at Walmsley Runs. That's W-A-L-M-S-L-E-Y-R-U-N-S. Now I have to make a little disclaimer here. There is a little background noise Uh, on Jim's end of the interview, mostly at the back end of the interview. He was at a coffee shop where he could get Wi-Fi for this interview. So just disregard that. It's not too bad, but I did want to let you know that there is a little bit of that. And I also want to say congratulations to Jackie Merritt, who I interviewed on the show just a couple months ago, who was going to be competing in Western States this year. She got seventh place last year, but she is actually expecting her first child, which we just found out. So congratulations, Jackie, and best of luck to you in that new adventure. Hey, you guys can follow me over on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626, and find me on Twitter as well. I'm at lindsayhine. But most importantly, find our Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. That is where this community is hanging out, and you can get to know the other listeners. Links to that will be in the show notes. And then I did want to let you guys know that I am doing a live Facebook interview with Becky Wade on Thursday, June 28th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time over on my Facebook page, just like I did with Dina Castor last month. I'm going to bring on past guests once a month at least on my Facebook page. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. And for those of you who've been following along, we've been reading Becky's book, Run the World, for the month of June. So any questions, anything you want to ask her about that book, her training now, you can tune in live and ask those questions. Thursday, June 28th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't make it live, join our Facebook group and post the questions you want to ask there and I'll make sure I'll get those in as well. One more book club related thing. The month of July, we're reading a book that my very own sister, Erica, wrote called Leaving Cloud Nine. It's a memoir of her husband's life. This is a book that she has been working on since 2013. It's been quite the long process and it's a book that she wasn't sure would ever actually be published. And then she was challenged with the question, what would you do no matter what the outcome? What would you create and nurture just for beauty of what it was? And without a question, her answer was 
this book that she wrote. Her husband Rick's story is painful and tragic, but it's also beautiful, redemptive, and hopeful. It's about the cycle of abuse, addiction, poverty, and pain, and it can be broken. We are reading this book. It's a little bit heavy, a little bit different from the norm. I do try to throw in different kinds of books with the book club. But uh, if you do plan on reading it with us, you guys, in July, I would love it if you would help me support my sister and pre-order a copy of the book. If you've heard me talk to other authors on this show, you've heard us talk about how pre-orders are very important in the publishing process. And we are just about two weeks out. Her book comes out on June 26th. So if you're going to read it with us and you want to support her, Head over to Amazon. I'll have a link to it in the show notes and pre-order your copy for yourself or someone who you think might be interested in it. Pre-order your copy. It's called Leaving Cloud Nine and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. All right, guys, I am not gonna keep you waiting any longer. Please enjoy this conversation I had with Jim Walmsley. So today we're talking with Jim Walmsley on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Lindsay, for having me. So, Jim, I have to tell you that my husband actually got into my email and emailed a request to have you on my show, (laughs) as if he were me. Awesome. Well, good on him, I guess. (laughs) He goes, I'm just going to start requesting the people I want to hear on your show. Do you know about Jim Walmsley? Because I just emailed him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it worked, so I I don't know, and here we are. So I'm excited to talk to another ultra runner. I just had Jackie Merritt on the podcast sort of recently, so... um, Awesome. Yeah, just had quite a bit of Western States talk out of her. I know she's prepping for this race like you are, but let's intro you to everybody because I've got some ultra runners that listen to the show, but I'd say the mass majority are more like half marathoners and full marathoners. Yeah. So, Jim, can you give everybody a brief rundown who you are and when you started running? And, I mean, you know you broke onto the ultra scene really not that long ago, and you're just killing it. Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, yeah, my name is Jim Walmsley. Um, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona, so kind of staying close to home a little bit nowadays. Uh, I trained full-time up in Flagstaff for Hoka 1-1, Cliff Bar, and Nathan Hydration. So um, I guess uh, I kind of made a name for myself by uh, in the ultra scene from 50 miles has kind of been 50 mile, 100k races has kind of been my bread and butter and um, dabbled a lot in some of the bigger well-known 100 miler races like Western States and Old Shell Mount Blanc. Um, and I've been doing this for about three years. I guess my running background, I, I ran in high school, um, was a full locker finalist and state champion in Arizona. And then I ran at the Air Force Academy from 2008 to 2012. Um, so I ran division one and was like second team all American in the steeplechase and uh, have some track times that are decent, uh, but little off from the most elite. Uh, and then I went into the Air Force after college, uh, and I was stationed up in Montana. Kind of got into trail running, and I say, trail running's awesome. It's fun. I love the process, but it's also a slippery slope to getting into longer and longer distances. And uh, 
in trail running, typically the the longer distances tend to be the more prestigious uh, events at the the weekends races. Yeah, did you ever think when you were running track time, you know, track like distances that you were going to be running hundred mile distances? Well, I always kind of joke, be careful what you make fun of because (laughs) it's almost been like I've turned into all of it. I think when I was in track in college, I used to make fun of maybe the 10K or the steeplechase and like, oh, they just can't keep up with the 1500 or the 5K. And then before long, my senior year, I did my first 10K, kind of one and only um, and ran right about 29 flat. And then I did my first steeplechases my senior year and uh, ended up just kind of qualifying for more and more races and even won like the Mountain Rest Conference uh, Championship in the steeplechase, like on my, I want to say second steeple ever. Mm. Um, And then, uh, but then you also poke fun at ultra runners of like, yeah, those guys, they only clip (laughs) like eight, 10 minute miles at the elite level. Like you're (laughs) kidding me. I could that's ridiculous. I don't want to go out and walk every day. But then, um, I guess getting into it, you don't realize how diverse the terrain is that these trail races and ultra races actually go over. Uh, yeah, when, I mean, when the trail pitches up 10 to 30% incline, uh, yeah, you slow down quite a bit and all of a sudden your six minute pace isn't, isn't quite the same. So, uh, yeah, it's fun. And I think, um, it's humbling with uh, learning it, and I, I just find it a really big, fun adventure, and uh, the process is really enjoyable to me. Well, I watched some of your documentary videos, and there are definitely plenty of sections on that Western States course <laughs> that you are not running 8 to 10-minute miles, and you yeah, well, bust out of those aid stations. It was like, you, you were running with a girl at one point. I, I got to ask you about these people, but it must have been one of your pacers and his wife, I think. She's yeah, a pu- I think purple tank was, top on. I think that was James Bonet's wife um, or uh, fiance, but um, good friend. She There's like a mile section going through. Uh, the biggest aid station is at mile 62 and okay. it's through Forest Hill. And basically that mile section, it's like a <clears throat> full crew access. So you can have crew just run with you for a, a bit of the, the section. And um, yeah, she wanted to do that. And uh I think she was a little surprised how quick that, I think that's, (laughs) I think you're referring to the 2016. Totally. Because when when I went through Forest Hill that way, that's when, um, Ethan Newberry known as the ginger runner, uh, got a really cool, uh, video clip of that. And I was feeling great. Um, but then last year when I went through Forest Hill, it was a little different story and I took a little break at my crew and started throwing up there and basically wasn't able to get food um, down. So like when you get into these really long ultra trail races, um, it's not just a running competition. It's also an eating competition and they're one in the same because if you're not eating, you're not going to be running. And, uh, so it it becomes a lot of problem solving and uh, a little bit of a puzzle. Yeah. I was like, when I watched the video, I was like, man, she's like sprinting. I wonder how long they're going (laughs) to run together like that. Well, we have to get into the whole Western States thing because you've had some like crazy experiences the last two years. And I want to talk about all that. But before we get into that, um, just kind of tell us how running has kind of like brought you to a better place in your life. I know you've openly talked about struggling with Mm -hmm. depression and things like that. Um, and then when you kind of found ultra running and found your 
place here, it kind of brought you back. Yeah, so I guess uh, I, I ran competitively through college, um, and then I ended up kind of putting my my job and my career first when I was an officer in the Air Force, and I was put I was pulling uh, alerts is what we call them, but 24-hour shifts underground up in Montana in charge of uh, nuclear missiles up there. Um, and all in all, it just wasn't a good lifestyle for me. There was a lot of high pressure with the job and kind of how things are structured with nukes for obvious reasons. Um, and I just wasn't, I didn't necessarily always make the best choices, got into a bit of trouble career-wise, and things weren't going great um, when like probably most of my life from running going pretty well to getting into a school like the Air Force Academy, think things kind of generally went pretty well. And that was definitely, um, has been my low moment and my low time is kind of, I say, I'll say basically I had a failure in my Air Force career, but, um, it was kind of towards the trail end of that, that I started focusing more on, like, I need to get outside and run once a day. Um, I was, getting with a psychiatrist and she's actually the one who recommended that and um she's just like yeah I think you should start focusing more on that because that seems to be your getaway and your happy place so I just really embraced that and um the more I thought about it I knew I was getting out of the air force uh in 2000 I guess 15 early 2015 uh thereabout and it was like, what do I want to do with my life? And that was the one thing that was um, picking my spirits up and at times felt like it was the only thing saving me from just really slippery, like slipping down into um, a darker place. And um, it was a way I was able to talk to people and, and meet friends uh, that wasn't about my job. It wasn't about life. It was just running. It was simple. Um, and I could go on these adventures and see these parts of Montana that were just spectacular. And uh, yeah, it just kind of became a, a time in my life where I pivoted and took a risk. And uh, I picked out Flagstaff, Arizona as the place I wanted to move to and train full time because I, I like the altitude. Um, I heard it, it's kind of like a running mecca and it's, it's an even bigger running mecca than I ever imagined. Um, before moving there uh and i picked up a job at uh absolute bikes um working part-time but i was working like 40 to 45 hours a week for like 10 dollars an hour and i just wanted to do that for like the next five years of my life and um kind of just committing everything to that it it really just took off beyond my wildest dreams and i didn't even know you could do ultra running full-time and um yeah it's been pretty fortunate and it, running's kind of just been my saving grace and uh I'm, I'm just enjoying the trip and enjoying where it takes me and um yeah just putting more and more into it and loving what I do what was your first race ultra race where you were competitive enough and that you like where you really broke onto the scene yeah. where you were like oh I'm like I'm in like I'm I'm like one of the top well, competitors in the country slash world um that, that one, the, the real, like, true breakthrough like that was uh, um, Lake Sonoma, 50 mile in 2016. Um, I, I remember, like, I'd, I think I just had Dry Max t-shirt, which they're my sock sponsor, and they were fortunate enough to, like, help me out with, like, a couple hundred dollar type bonuses here and there, and 
um, that, that really helped when I took off work from the bike shop to be able to pay bills is winning races that way. But that was a, that, that's a competitive national race that has been tried and true. And I actually got the course record there in 2016. Um, but I, I guess the first ultra I ever did, I ran old Gabe 50 K up in Bozeman, Montana. And, um, I had no idea what to expect. I couldn't believe I was hiking some of it. And like my hip flexors were cramping up. Um, but I actually got Scott Creel's course record there and Scott Creel's like this Montana legend, uh, grizzly guy that, um, he's won the Bridger Ridge run, which is this awesome scenic, uh, about 20 mile run in Bozeman that, um, is just legendary and he's known for winning it 10 years. Um, so that kind of gave me a bit of hope and a little encouragement. And I ended up hopping into a 50 mile a couple months later at the JFK 50 mile. And, um, with the encouragement of, uh, James Bonet, uh, whose, um, fiance was the one oh, Aaron yeah. running with me in that picture. So he, he helped encourage me from the beginning when he kind of heard, I started dabbling in some trail ultra stuff. And so I had really good encouragement from James and from the beginning and, uh, but it was probably once I moved to Flagstaff and kind of uh, had about a year of altitude back under my belt and more consistent running and and putting it as a, a bit of a priority in my life where I kind of started seeing the really big breakthroughs. So you probably like you've rehashed this like 9000 times by now, <laughs> but my listeners, most of them probably haven't heard it. Uh, but in 2016, when you ran <clears throat> Western States... Uh, you went into the race thinking and saying, like, I'm going to win. I'm going to break the course record. Like, that's my goal. That's what I want to do. Uh, and I think that's so cool. I love when I see people just, like, that bold. Uh, and you were on record to do that. Like, you were an hour in front of the second-place runner, Sage Kennedy. And what were you, 30 minutes above the course or below the well, course record? That was maybe about 60 miles in. Okay. Um, and things dramatically changed from there going forward they kind of say the race at western states starts at forest hill which sure. is the, the 100k mark and um andrew miller was actually the guy in second place uh probably the majority of the the later stages of the race and he's the guy that ended up winning it um and like, yeah he just ran a really smart solid day that just kind of patiently picked off a, a lot of what people considered the favorites with myself and Sage Canada and David Laney that year. Um, but Andrew Miller didn't really get caught up in the, the, the front race early as mm. much. And I think it really paid off sure. being patient. And Is a he lot one of your teammates? Uh, Andrew Miller lived in Flagstaff for a little bit when I first moved here, but um, he's actually up at, back in near his home in Oregon in Corvallis, uh, going to Oregon State, but he's actually running Western States again this year. So uh, really, really nice guy um, and get along with him well. But uh, yeah, we got a few guys here in Flagstaff that I train with and we call each other like our, our little group, the Coconino Cowboys. And yeah, we like getting after it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess with the, the, the statements that year, especially, and I guess I believe this kind of in a lot of things, I like starting with what I kind of call a top down goal list of, yeah, my first goal is going to be to try to make a course record possible. I don't want to start out so slow that it's not an option from mile 10. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think 
I, as the race develops and as it adjusts, I think uh, I adjust my goals accordingly. So maybe things aren't going as well for a course record, which um, Western States course records hold held by Timothy Olsen. And it's just uh, proving to be a lot harder and a lot more elusive than uh, maybe I gave it credit for that first year. Um, and uh, yeah, it's pretty solid. And you got to really have a good day. But uh, at this point, it's going to be my third year running that race. And um, so probably less so than the or more so than the course record is just having a really solid day and being more competitive uh, for the first position back to Auburn. Um, I think overall winning that race would mean a lot at this point. So, uh, yeah, need to run maybe a little little less risky for mm, um, the mm-hmm. course record stuff because uh, in 2017 um, at Western States, that kind of got me into a bit of trouble and ultimately uh, I I made it about 78 miles before having to call my day. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty disappointing last year, but lots of learning uh, experiences. I, I think you take away a lot more learning experiences in uh, – what you'd consider your failures rather than when like a race goes really well. Um, it's almost hard to learn like what you did right. And a lot of things don't necessarily go wrong on your best day. So, um, I think you take away a lot more on the harder, uh, tougher days out on the trails. Yeah. Uh, the post-race interview, I've, I've seen a lot more post-race interviews from your 2016 race than your 2017 race, but you were very like, you know, I know you had some time to collect yourself. You took the wrong turn. Was it mile 93, 93? Yeah, they're at 92, 93. And I went about two miles off course and I hit, I hit the highway I was supposed to hit. I just hit it in the wrong spot. Um, and that was part of it. Cause I, I knew where I was. I, I like kind of say with that part of the Western course or Western States course, I know enough to be dangerous. And the fact that like, I kind of knew the direction I was going, but it was like the right direction, but then the wrong direction mm. sort of thing. Um, so almost if I knew less, it might have helped more. And then if I knew more, it would have obviously helped more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, you know, in your post-race interviews, you were still very like happy and grateful and you finished the race, you know? So walk us through that though, because you take a wrong turn at mile 93. You're two miles off course. You decide to walk back to where you went and you, you finished the race. You had a bunch of people. I mean, it was the most adorable part of the video is like holding hands with your mom right before you finished, before you guys ran to the track. Um, but tell us like a, why did you decide I'm going to go ahead and finish the damn thing? And B, um, you like, how did you muster it up? Because you were physically and emotionally defeated at that point. Yeah. I mean, like, kind of that late in a race everybody's on the brink of just uh physical collapse and uh for me i say realizing i was two miles off course i i thought i at that time i thought sage candy was still like 15 minutes behind me basically on his own record pace and just running an incredible race and i didn't know he had cracked a little bit and um, I didn't know that Andrew Miller was actually the one chasing me down, um, but a little further back and I did, I wasn't, I think even in the video, uh, Matt Trappy was a photographer there that was one of the first people that saw me on the highway 
And he even told me I had an hour lead. And mm-hmm. I, I think I remember like hearing it, but it's like, this is complete BS. Like you're just trying to get my spirits back up, man. I know the race is done. Like I'm trying, I'm being like a complete cynic and, uh, it just wasn't positive thinking and mentally just, it broke me pretty bad at that point. Um, so I, 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 a big goal and stuff was to, to finish my first hundred mile, Mm -hmm. uh, race. That, that was like what you'd call the hundred mile debut. Um, so that, that kind of became the next goal in line. And, uh, that's what I did. It wasn't pretty. Um, maybe sometimes being separated from the moment. I wish I, I ran it in a little more or um, gave it just a bit more effort. Uh, but I know once kind of my mind quit at that point, it was pretty hard to start jogging again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty painful and uh, walking was what I could comfortably manage and I didn't really feel like pushing it super hard at that point. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a part of the race to make it to Auburn it's not about if your day goes right or especially like elites kind of get a rep for just pushing until they're competitive and once they're not competitive they just throw everything down but at the same time like uh ultra running and western states especially there's so much more to just being competitive at the front um I still got a under 24 hour 100 mile race that year and uh, that, that's pretty special, and those things aren't uh, to be taken for granted. Yeah, you walked like seven and then plus four <laughs> miles, and you still ran like, wasn't it like 1845 or something? Yeah, yep, exactly. That's so, a, a uh, lot under 24 hours. Yeah, uh, they, they kind of just okay. jokingly say uh, you live a whole life in a day yeah. in that race. Yeah, so, okay, you had, and then 2017, you had the DNF because you weren't keeping things down. You had to pull out, you said, like, mile 80, so, or 78 or whatever, but you, you're going back this year. It's it's on June 23rd, um, and you kind of mentioned that the goal is to more so finish and finish first than, like, go after that course record from the start, but you're still going to be super aggressive from the start, right? Well, I, I find that I want to run um, the the pace and the effort that I think is going to get me there most efficiently and most competitively. Um, I think a lot of times uh, that can put me out front. Um, I, I like to think that I try not to limit myself from the beginning, and I, I want to run with the opportunity to do something great. And if that's not there a little bit in, then again, adjust accordingly. But uh, I, I'm not a big believer in limiting yourself before you even try. So that maybe mindset and mentality makes it kind of look a little more aggressive and this and that. But um, sometimes I feel like I'm the, the fittest and best runner out there. So if that's the case, you would naturally find yourself a little bit in the front. Um, sometimes I'm not, but maybe it's the mindset that I could do more that gives me that advantage. And, um, so we'll see, uh, so far for Western States, uh, I guess up until Sunday training had just been going kind of scary, 
scary good, I guess I could describe <laughs> it. Uh, just crushing miles, crushing climbing, um, but running fast, it was almost hard to get enough time on my feet. Um, but then I, I kind of have a little bit of a injury going on in my quad this week. So this week's almost complete opposite from last week. So it just goes to the the ups and downs of training for races competitively and injuries and hiccups happen in my training just like everyone else's and uh but we'll see i mean there's still about five four or five weeks uh before western state so i'm not too worried at this point and uh this whole year has been started off with really consistent training so i got a big base to to rely on and not worry about at this point well, yeah, you just won and set another course record at Lake Sonoma, right? Yeah, so it's kind of cool to be able to say uh, I have the two fastest times at Lake Sonoma, and you kind of look at the list of ultra runners that have ran it and how many times other guys have tried, and uh, it's a pretty comprehensive competitive list as far as our ultra world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool position. Okay, so we talked about pace a little bit, and you were laughing at yourself because you were saying how you used to say, oh, ultra runners at the elite level run like 8 to 10-minute miles. But give us an idea. When you're doing Western States, like what's the range? Like what's the fastest mile you're running on that 100-mile course, and what's the slowest because you have to hike some of it? My fastest is probably somewhere around 5 flat. Mm. Um, And that'll be probably with a downhill. Okay. So the effort's a little bit slower, but then the pace is that fast. Uh, I mean, even the less than a mile, your pace will dip under, like my pace will dip under five if I'm just running with the flow of like sometimes with these really nice downhill gradients. Um, And it's just about keeping it efficient. Don't bang up your legs. If that's the gradient you're running, then just just let the legs turn over and go. but then on the climbing, uh, probably one of the slower parts is Devil's Thumb Climb. It's got over a thousand feet per mile sort of climb, um, and there's like thirty, about thirty-eight switchbacks. There's either thirty-seven or thirty-nine, I forget. Um, but right, right up there, that's how many like tiny switchbacks there are to get up this hill. And uh, your pace probably slows down to almost twenty-minute miles for okay. me at a competitive side. But I would say, like, effort-wise, I'm probably hovering effort-wise under seven-minute pace while things are going good. And then later in the race, even when it's flat and stuff, you have so much just lactic buildup and your legs just feel so uh, heavy. And I would say I kind of describe it as a woody feeling, like a tree, like it's just to stretch that the the fibers in your muscles becomes just very strenuous so um i i mean western states i think the course record somewhere around like an 840 to 850 mm. per minute like uh minutes per mile average um but i mean that includes everything from stopping to fill up your water bottles to going to the bathroom to um hiking uphill to running downhill to uh all, all sorts of things and if that that's assuming on a good day because when things don't go perfect um that's when you get stopping time and and really like stopping time is what can kill your average pace the most 
So like a lot of people that are very successful at the 100 milers um, are very good at moving through aid stations. Even if they're walking through aid stations, they're moving forward still. Um, I think I'm kind of notoriously bad at that Um, (laughs) because sometimes I'm running really well in between aid stations, but I get to an aid station. I'm like, I ran that way too fast. I need to try to just slow down a bit. But then it's like I run the next section and I'm, I'm running too fast, but then I'm stopping too long. And I kind of this year, one of the big goals is to try to just even those out a bit um, to try to run a little more under control and then move a little more efficiently through the aid stations. And um, those there's about 20 aid stations along the course, something like that. And if you you stop a minute at each aid station, which would be very good, um, you're you're giving up 20 minutes of not racing uh, throughout the race and. That, that can be a big difference up at the front of the race. Yeah. I, I mean, it looked like you were moving pretty quick, you know, on the couple stations that I saw <laughs> on the video. And uh, my husband's done a couple of 50 milers and 100 Ks. And uh, it, there's definitely like a difference with how fast you move when you're not running at the elite level. But he, I mean, even at just like a normal competitive guy level, he still moves pretty quick too, because it's like, all right, I want to get this show on the road. But do you, when you're stopping at these aid stations, like I noticed in one of them in the videos, you were changing your shoes at Western States. Do you normally change your shoes multiple times or once? Or what does that um, look like? The last two years I have, but I would say I've done a lot more training since even last year's Western States with, um, like I did a really big training block out in the San Juans in Colorado, uh, around the hard rock 100 course. Um, training for Ultra Trail Mount Blanc last year. And then um, I think that was really beneficial because there's so many creek crossings and I was getting a lot better at just doing training runs and get my feet wet mm-hmm. and then keep running and just dealing with your feet being wet and soggy and not feeling great and just, just keep going. Um, it's almost like, uh, yeah, learning to deal with your feet just being a bit uncomfortable, but at the same time, your feet are definitely your most important asset because if you get blisters or um, rubbing or, or something going on with your feet, it can be just absolutely crippling for your, your race and the, the forward momentum that you're, you're going with. So that's why I, in the past, have changed shoes a lot is I kind of probably over um, do it. And that's another area where I, I'm not going in with uh, four or five pairs of shoes this year. I'll probably have like two pairs of shoes and try to change my shoes maybe once at Forest Hill after 62 miles of running. Um, sometimes changing shoes can kind of uh, re, re-boost your, your legs and give you a good feeling. But um, I, I probably overdid it uh, the last two years. Too many shoe changes. Yes, and and that takes time, and yeah. time adds up. So yeah. uh, it's another place for improvement. Yeah, and so to give everybody an idea, when you said say time adds up, and then you did that eighteen forty five when you, you know, in two thousand sixteen, the course record it's fourteen something, right? Fourteen forty six. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hundred miles. So that's yeah. You got to move. So what's it like? I mean. Pretty soon after we talked about this, when you broke onto the ultra scene, you were, your name became a name that people knew sure. and as a fierce competitor. But, you know, your first couple races, people really might not have known who you were. You were kind of like this dark horse. So what's it like racing 
now in every race and everybody's going, oh yeah, Jim yeah. Walmsley's going to be there. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I, I get brought up in a lot of other people's interviews now. And I, I, I mean, I think I've just developed um, the target on my back, whether uh, like this next Western States, there's Andrew Miller who's coming in, who's the only guy that's a returning champion. And then uh, Francois Diane is coming in and he's probably the best hundred miler in the world uh, wow. in many situations. He's French um, and he won Ultra Child Mount Blanc last year, beating me and Killian Journey. Um, yeah. So he's extremely experienced and, um, and, and then there's all sorts of guys that are in the slew of like uh, talented, really good upside sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it's like I'll still get thrown in there, even though I haven't won a hundred miler yet, uh, this and that. But I think, um, a lot of times when I do run, I, I have a tendency to dictate things at the front of the race, uh, and setting the pace a lot of times. Um, I guess running a little more aggressively than some of the others. Um, but then that also might be why the hundred milers have, have had a little bit of a steeper learning curve than the 50 mile or 100 K distance where I can get away with it a little better. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I definitely prefer being, um, the dark horse and lesser known and it's easier to run that way for sure. Um, you can run on a little bit of a chip on your shoulder or there's no pressure or, uh, say the race is about to start and you need to sneak away to the bathroom and come back before the, the race starts. Like you can easily do that. And then like nowadays I need to plan ahead a little bit because you don't know when, um, someone's going to stop and, uh, ask for a picture oh, or gosh. this and that. So like <laughs> you, you almost got to factor in just a little bit more, uh, time with that. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's a position that not many people get to be in. And, um, it's you got to embrace it and it is what it is and uh it's pretty cool to be in that position i I would say i'd rather be in that position than not in that position and have to deal with sometimes the inconveniences but um or the target on my back so uh yeah i I don't know it's it's uh pretty special to kind of be in those shoes and yeah yeah, you're done being the dark horse. It's not ever going to happen again. You're done. It's you're if you're going to be at the race, you're going to be talked about a little bit. I yeah. think uh, I have plans to dabble in the roads uh, in the next two years, so I could be a little bit in the dark horse category uh, in the road marathon and stuff. So okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to go there because I did actually listen to your podcast with Ginger Runner. Like it was probably from a year or two ago. I think a year ago before your 2017. Western states go. And you did mention that you said, I think you said that you were going to give the 2020 trials a, a go. Is that, is that still fact? Yeah. So that's still in the plans. I, I mean, I has, I scratch my head sometimes because I've, I've kind of etched a living out of doing the trail ultra stuff. And it's like, why get away from that? Uh, things have gone really well and in the foreseeable future still going to go really well. Um, hopefully so, but it, it kind of excites me. Um, probably the most competitive ultra is comrades, uh, marathon, which is in South Africa. 
and that's like 54, 56 miles, um, which is a good distance for me, but it brings in probably a, like more like 208, 210 marathoners that typically uh, are winning that race. So um, that'll be important to have the leg speed and to be able to, to turn it over on the roads because there's more tempo, there's more, um, you got to be more fluid when you're just running on a road. Where on a trail or in a longer race, uh, you, you almost got to practice grinding a lot more and just kind of like the Boston Marathon, how that was this year. Of like, <laughs> you, you needed to be able to grind um, and kind of withstand the the conditions because ultra running or trail running in general, typically, no matter the weather, um, like Western states is really really hot every year. It's not ideal for running fast, so you got to be good at withstanding the diversity that the races bring you. But I guess with the roads and with the 2020 trials, kind of the fun idea I have since I'm an ultra marathoner is um, kind of with my background and stuff of on the track, I, I want to go after the half marathon okay. qualifier, which is 64 flat for the men. So you got to run 63 south thinner faster to get in through the half marathon and that starts at the end of this year in September. Um, I can start doing that. Uh, so I think that would be a fun way to qualify for the 2020 trials and then try to make my 20, my, my marathon debut at the trials and just go for it. We'll see what happens. I think this is so interesting. I mean, you're young, but and I, you know, you got into ultra running relatively young. I feel like a lot of times people do the shorter stuff and then you like, you know, slowly move up in distance and you jumped right into ultra. Um, but I, it seems like from the outside looking in, the ultra runners don't pay as much attention to the marathon and the shorter distances. And it's intriguing to me that someone who's so competitive at that level, at that distance, is like, no, nah, I'm going to go ahead and do the road marathon. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I think of it as, um, yeah, the natural progression for an elite runner is typically you run the track and then you run the, the roads um, and then you run the marathon. And then if you still want to get into something, you typically get into ultra running. And that would be the stereotypical thing. I think to be competitive nowadays in ultra running, it's getting, it's getting, um, uh, competitive enough where I, I don't think you can necessarily do that same trajectory uh-huh. because by the time you hit the ultra scene, um, your, your best days are typically going to be a, a little behind you, um, depending on how you age and how you manage it. Um, but then also with that, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a difference when you get into the ultra thing because grinding is such a big part of it. And um, you're gonna feel like crap at some point and things aren't gonna go well and your legs are gonna hurt most of the run sometimes. So um, where on the track or on the marathon, ideally things are gonna be really fluid, really poppy. You're gonna find a rhythm. Um, that, that's how you'd ideally want it. Uh, sometimes the marathon can, especially the marathon's kind of notorious of uh, especially after that, maybe 20 miles or 22 miles, you kind of hit the wall and that can be kind of your, your little bit of a grind taste. Um, but half marathon, I think is one of the most fun distances. Uh, you don't really experience too much in the, 
the overthrottling like grind phase and then um i think i i definitely love the track but at the same time like i i ran uh like a 404 mile and a 1352 5k but and and i could time trial things really well but i i couldn't like i can't run 100 meters very fast mm. um i can't close 200 meters very fast and stuff so like I always kind of knew that at the most elite level, I, I wasn't going to be winning the championship races in my mind. Um, I know my college coach hated that I'd admit that, but um, I, I just knew I wasn't a very good sprinter and um, kind of what I would have to do would be to draw, draw like make it instead of a 200 meter kick, make it a thousand meter kick in a 10 K or f- probably 5 K um, where a, 10k i'd probably have to like start cranking in from two miles instead of uh leaving it for the last half mile sort of thing um where i can run really fast but i'm not necessarily got that really quick turnover to to win highly competitive track races so that plus kind of my air force career plus just wanting to enjoy the process of the day-to-day running um kind of stuck me in the trail ultra category and uh started just concentrating more and more on that and now i i think starting a newer or helping be a part of probably what was already happening before i got into it um people just focusing a lot more specifically on training for ultras at a more elite level and what's really fun about it is much more so than like you kind of i say track and marathon uh, you kind of know the scientific approach, how to get your best 10 K time or the scientific approach, how to build up and do your best marathon. Like there's all these like perfect training plans for this and that to do your marathon. But in an ultra marathon, I think in a lot of ways you're challenging your body beyond probably what you can, um, anticipate. So there's so much, about it that you can't say is the right way to train or the wrong way to train for ultra running and probably the majority of it is doing what you need to do to mentally be ready to tackle an ultra marathon and it's going to be if your mind's in the right place and you're you're relatively fit you're going to have a really good chance so speaking of that what do you do to mentally prepare for a hundred miler or a real competitive 50 miler I train my ass off. <laughs> I'm I'm really big confidence runner. Um, so I I tend to do high miles. I tend to keep my training pretty pretty fast. Uh, and sometimes I knock out some really killer workouts. Uh, I think personally, um, I think I train and race at a relatively similar level. But I think some runners train at a like you look at their training and you're like, oh my gosh, that's garbage. And then they just go crush the race. <laughs> or like some people just crush training and you're like, oh my God, they're just going to roll everybody. And then they just blow it in a race. And um, it just goes to, you need to kind of understand how you train and how you race and um, do what you need to do in training to have that confidence to go up to the line, first and foremost, healthy. And then secondly, um, with the confidence to go put yourself in a good situation to uh, accomplish your goals. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, I mean, to run as fast as you 
run, even at these very long distances, you're still doing like some serious speed work. Um, a little bit. So for Lake Sonoma 50 mile in April, um, my friend Jared Hazen, who I trained with in Flagstaff, um, we were doing maybe mile repeats once a week on the track. Uh, and what the way I do some faster stuff now is I'm not looking to get a workout on the track per se. Um, I'm not looking to get more fit, anything like that off of a track workout for what I'm doing. And these longer races, it's all about increasing efficiency. So my kind of bread and butter workout is five by a mile. Um, we're doing it at 7,000 feet. And I typically take three to three and a half minutes rest in between. And it's a, it's a lot of rest. Or mm-hmm. say say you want to get the, the mile reps like really fast on your, your high-end gear. You can take a complete like one-to-one rest and take basically full rest. And the main thing about it is getting your legs turned over. So I'm never going to be running 440 miles or shouldn't be um, in a 100-mile or 50, probably more specifically a 50-mile race. But if my efficiency at a 430, 440-mile is better, I'm going to be able to run a 510 or 520 in a race without hitting that threshold effort because my efficiency and my leg turnover is a bit better, um, because of the, just turning the legs over. Um, and then, uh, if you're not dabbling in that high end intensity part of it, then you're not really getting yourself in a deep hole. If you have to dabble in that speed where like sometimes when I'm not doing regular, um, pickups or, uh, mile repeat sort of thing, I can go run with other marathoners and I can feel I'm just as fit or Mm. fitter than than them sometimes but if we start going on a 20 mile run where we start dabbling in that five minute to under five minute pace which is kind of a fun like uh uh in between effort between a marathoner and an ultra marathoner sometimes so um and and you're doing like 20 miles or two hours something like that um sometimes if it gets too fast, it gets out of your comfort zone. And then all of a sudden you're more, you're, you're less efficient. And then if you're less efficient, you're going to be expending more energy. And all of a sudden, even if you're more fit, you're going to end up popping first because you're just not efficient at that speed. So when you train for this, uh, half marathon, (laughs) yeah, after next fall, this coming fall, uh, it'll be right. It's after the fall of eight, 2018, right? Yeah. So it starts in, I think the qualifying process for the half marathon starts September, 2018. Uh, you can already qualify in the marathon Yeah, um, yeah. for the Olympic trials. And I think that opened up last September. Okay. Uh, but the half marathon, they, they hold off another year. Cause I think they prefer you to qualify in the marathon, obviously. Okay. Um, so what are you going to do training wise? I mean, so do you, you what what are you what are you peaking at mileage wise now training for like Lake Sonoma and Western States and then what will yeah. you peak training for a half and then how how much more speed work will you add? Yeah, so um, speed work and I'll probably go to a more regular schedule with uh, speed work, like some sort of intervals on the track once a week and then some sort of uh, threshold, um, eight eight-ish miles of threshold, uh, 
those would be kind of probably the, the main things I would focus on. And to ease into that, sometimes you do kind of a fart like like three minutes on, one minute off sort of workout, not on anything measured, just out on a trail even um, to kind of get the legs turning over to get ready to do the intervals. So um, I would say intervals and threshold work where I don't do much threshold work now I would say pace wise mm. when when I get on some steep climbs my heart rate and intensity probably gets up to threshold sometimes but um the pace can still be 14 minute miles but if it's steep enough yeah uh your your how your body's working aerobically is gonna dive into uh more on the threshold side um even if your pace by marathon standards is very slow your intensity and your effort's very hard. Um, so that, that'll be the main thing. Um, it would be really ideal to be able to hit the Houston half marathon. Oh yeah. Because that's a good that, one. that, that one's like always one of the faster half marathons and you can kind of just hop in line and find a couple people to get in a rhythm with. So that would be ideal, but that's maybe like, uh, about two months after the North Face 50 mile um, in November this year. So it'd be a little tricky to maybe get enough leg speed to do it. So could end up being two attempts on the, the half marathon, but hopefully I can knock it out first time. But I don't know. Sometimes you got to be a little lucky with how, how the legs respond back to the speed. But for the most part, it's it comes back pretty naturally still. So Will you keep running really high weekly mileage? Oh, yeah. So um, for half marathon, I'd probably be flirting somewhere between 100 to 120 during uh, the majority of my base for that. Um, for Lake Sonoma, I did most of my training at around 100, and I think I peaked at 108 miles Okay. Um, this past Lake Sonoma uh, in 2018. Um which wasn't as high as I'd hoped. Uh, I had a little bit of an injury over winter that I started a bit later and actually had to drop a race in February and just uh, kind of have a longer build up towards April. Um, so that's about as high as I got. But I also logged my vertical feet climbed per week, and that was consistently over 20,000 feet per week. Um, so most marathoners and roadrunners probably don't keep track of that at all. Um, there's not as much need to. But I think climbing, we I refer to it as climbing, kind of really helps with maybe some of your toughness in a race or uh, how you can grind a bit. Um, it helps with your time on feet and how, how much, like how many minutes or hours you're training per week. Uh, It'll definitely increase your, your time of training per week. Um, for Western States now, uh, after Lake Sonoma, I kind of started ramping up. I guess last three weeks I hit 100, 125, and then I was going to hold it for three weeks at 150 miles. And I hit 150 miles with about 31,000 feet of vert last week. Um, and it was 22 hours of training, over 22 hours of training. Um, but on the last run, I think in the first mile or two on my Sunday run, I think I got a little, very mild tear in part of my quad that's been bugging me and I'm far enough out where as long as, um, I don't let it become 
a big injury, then it'll be fine and it'll blow over. I, I don't think I'll get back up to the 150 miles a week that I wanted to for Western States, but I've been able to have really good success around the 120 mile range. So I'll, I'll probably kind of try to get back to that as soon as possible and hover around 120 and Maybe instead of a two-week taper, um, I'll do just a one-week taper the week of Western States. That's a short taper. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, it goes back to a little bit, like some of my best races have come on maybe a one- to two-day taper, I would say, like a couple rest days. Uh, I, I basically p- always plan on running every day, um, and then I say, like, let your off days come to you, Don't don't, like automatically plan your off days and um i didn't have any off days planned for this week and i've already taken two um and i only ran a three mile run on tuesday of just sometimes you you kind of gotta suck it up and do what's right for you and um i guess one of the harder things about this too is i've 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 chosen to still log it publicly because i don't think a lot of pro athletes especially when injured um publicize yeah. how they handle it and how they go through it. So I think that'll be kind of really interesting for people to follow on my Strava of if how I can manage to get back to it. Um, so we'll see. Okay, so I have time for like five-ish more minutes. Um, I wanted to ask, oh, I wanted to say this bold quote that you once said in, at the top of a video that I watched. Sure. You say you start this video, and I'm like, ooh, that's good. It makes him sound really intimidating. Um, if I could isolate other runners. I'm in- not intimidating <laughs> at all. Let <laughs> well, me just throw that out there. I can, and I can attest to that from talking to you. But you say, if I can isolate other runners and make it one-on-one and we both go to a dark place, I'm going to win. Do you believe yeah. that when you're out there? Yeah, totally. Um, so I guess in that situation – specifically that's me envisioning um, either someone else is out front by themselves or I'm out front by myself. I don't want to compete against a pack of runners that are now harnessing like a competitive side of competing against each other and pacing off of each other. I want to be out of sight. So it's just like Put me on a treadmill in a room by myself and put you on a treadmill in a room by yourself. And who's going to crank that treadmill faster and faster and who's going to think they can hold a better pace for longer and stuff? Um, I I think mentally I'm really good at setting uh, a fast tempo, um, pushing myself hard. And I'm I'm also known for pushing myself too hard where I break myself. Uh, One of the funny sayings I have for races is don't let Jim beat Jim. (laughs) Because <laughs> sometimes that happens because I, I just have, uh, like, some people just have governors of, like, they're not going faster because they they just don't think they can sustain it. And, again, it goes back to that leap of faith of, like, what if I could stick it today? And, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm just a big believer in just the, the what if today is the day. Um, so I, I can kind of beat myself sometimes in that scenario. But, uh yeah, it, I would much rather, if I'm in first um, place running and you're in second chasing, I I want to isolate you one-on-one. And I think um, for the most part, I'm confident in that situation that um, 
I'll be able to keep my lead, I guess. Yeah, because you talk about that a lot, like taking advantage of the negative moments where like other people might be more likely to crack, but specifically like you find your strength from that. That's something that's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, it, it's a just perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's necessarily cocky or uh, wrong. I think it's kind of just knowing my strengths and where I want to match up with someone else um, and betting on my strongest attributes. Um, that That's where I want to double down instead of, um, I would say at Ultra Trail Mount Blanc last year, it was my first time running through the night, um, first time kind of doing big mountainous 100 mile race um, and lots of firsts in a lot of ways. And I think that set me up a little bit to not necessarily run as ambitious and it it didn't let me kind of double down on my strengths to give me the best chance and so when I had my low points I think um, that was at times when when Francois and Killian both had more experience and better uh, strengths in that moment to to take advantage of uh, where I was not in a good position so um I think this year through Western States and I'll be back at Ultra Trail Mount Blanc. Um, a big theme for me is to believe in my strengths and to um, just trust and, and don't let Jim beat Jim, but go, <laughs> go, go run with confidence of what I think I'm able to do. Are you, are you still self-coached? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I say, I say uh, a coach would not let me, um, train the way I train uh um I think a lot of ways throughout my running career um I, I'm very ambitious of how I want to train and I, I'm a big believer in volume first um I think volume and consistency is going to be your main weapon to getting faster getting better um so I a lot a lot of roles that coaches have had in my life is to kind of tame that down a little bit and to regulate it um now I, I'm I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing it because I have a passion for it, and uh, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And for good and for bad, that that might get me injuries here and there, or maybe overtrained. But um, it's working out pretty well so far. And uh, I just goes back to I really enjoy the process of going out for an adventure on a trail every day. Love that. Okay, I'm going to do a couple end of the podcast questions. Okay. What's one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done yet in your life that you want to do? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've been saying this since probably I was 10. Uh, I've always wanted to be a dentist. So that, that's kind of been my fallback of like, um, if I get hurt permanently or whatever and stuff, I, I've always thought, um, again, believed in myself that I could go back and redo my prereqs and apply for dental school. And do something that's just not athletically related. Um, <laughs> so that that's always kind of in the back of my mind. I think when I first started in ultra running, that was totally the plan of like probably 35 was definitely pull the plug and uh, and just go to dental, try to go to dental school. Because it's one thing to say you want to go to dental school. It's another thing to do it and then get through it and then actually start being a dentist uh, or uh, like a, any similar profession like that. But um I, I don't know. Running's, uh, I definitely have a passion for it. And 
it's it's taking me places right now in my life that I wouldn't have expected. And uh, I'm going to enjoy this ride as long as possible. That's awesome. What If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Sometimes you need to trust in yourself and go follow your passion. And um, don't be afraid to just dedicate a couple, like a moment in your life to go follow your passion. Um, that's kind of how I got my breakthrough. It, it took a little bit of a valley in my life to maybe push me to go do something that I was just passionate about and loved. But, um, yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done. So I, I, would, I would encourage other people to try it as well. Of all of your course records and, and big races, what, what's, what are you most proud of? Um, I, I like my Western States 2016 run the most yeah. probably. Um, I think it showed a lot of character and moments and, uh-huh. It showed how I like to race and I like how to put things out there. Um, I was unsponsored at the time. um, And yeah, it was just, I think it was a very pure um, effort. Who's the unsponsored guy running in the crop top with holes in it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Who who wears a crop top with holes in it? (laughs) It was awesome. Are you going to, the big question is, more than any other goals this year at Western States, are you going to wear a crop top? It's kind of like my MO, so yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, I, I, yeah, I feel, I kind of wish at times it wasn't um, the signature thing, but I'll probably do it every year at Western States just just because. You got to be Why the not? guy. That's your thing. I used to race in red sunglasses, and that was my thing. It's like if I didn't have nice. my red sunglasses, then it wasn't it wasn't really happening. So yeah. I get it. Ferrari red. Yeah, they were Budweiser <laughs> shades. Nice. I think uh, I actually wore hot pink sunglasses that year on purpose too. Uh, are, you, are you gonna go back to the hot pink? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim. Well, I so appreciate your time and cannot wait to see. If Jim beats Jim and what happens at Western States this year. I hope Jim doesn't beat Jim. No, oh, wait. We're looking for a smart race. I meant the other way around. That's what I really meant. You know that, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. (laughs) I said it wrong. Um, And also can't can't wait. I also can't wait uh, to see what you do in the half marathon. That's so exciting. Yeah, we'll see. It might be uh, harder than I anticipate, but whatever. It's going to be a good challenge either way. See what kind of speed those legs have. Yep. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Jim, for coming on the show and sharing your story. We are all rooting for you at Western States. Can't wait to see what happens. Don't forget to follow Jim on Instagram and Twitter at Walmsley Runs. And you can find me, Lindsay Hines 626 You guys, don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We're having so much fun over there. And if you want to follow along with the book club, you guys go pick up my sister's book, Leaving Cloud Nine by Erica Anderson. All right, you guys, everything we talked about today will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. And if you want to get those show notes emailed to you on a weekly basis so you don't have to go hunting for them, you need to subscribe to my newsletter. Shoot me an email, lindsay at lindsayhine.com, and I'll get you all signed up for that. All right, you guys, have a great Friday. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.